0: Welcome back, hemming to the podcast of legends. We're talking about eighty-five. Poor old Cronshaw. Um, we saw that coming, didn't we? But poor old Cronshaw. And what influence is Upjohn having on Philip? Jan Brunt said this. So many despicable characters in one book. Upjohn might be the worst of all. He didn't bother to cancel his dinner plans when Cronshaw died. Nor did he help Philip arrange the funeral or pay for it. Then he uses Cronshaw's death to aggrandize himself and dunks on Philip the whole way. Detestable. I've known a few. Uh, I've known a few upjohns in my time, and they are miserable poison. Fix the blue said he slipped his hand under Cronshaw's shirt and felt his heart. He did not know what to do helplessly because he had heard of this being done, he held a looking glass in front of his mouth. Anyone else find it a bit concerning? Philip, the med student, didn't know what to do. A good point, I did find that a bit weird, Um, but I kind of figured maybe he'd just never seen a dead person, or never had to diagnose someone as being dead, or maybe it was a bit of like shock because it was his friend. Lady Rostova said, no, this is very common in the medical profession. When things happen to people who are close to you, you get nervous and stop functioning. I'm a veterinary student, and the first time my cat vomited, I was so scared I had to call my professor. He's also a 20th century med student, so I don't expect much. Laura Weistitch said, at the start of the chapter, I felt annoying at Philip for being so naive. By the end, I realized he's a far kinder character than almost anyone else in the story. He's a has annoyed me a lot in an entertaining way with the whole Mildred thing but this chapter helped me sympathise with him again. That's good. Philip needs to win a few points back with us readers, I think. Let's continue reading, shall we? Um, what are we up to here? Sixty? Six, Eighty-six. Eighty-six. Goes like this. In... The spring, Philip, having finished his dressing in the outpatients department, became an inpatient clerk. Wait, am I reading the right chapter? Yes, I am. This appointment lasted six months. The clerk spent every morning in the wards, first in the men's, then in the women's, with the house physician. He wrote up cases, made tests, and passed out time of day with the nurses. On two afternoons a week, the physician in charge went round with a little knot of students, examined the cases and dispensed information. The work had not the excitement, but constant change, the intimate contact with reality of the work in the outpatients department, but Philip picked up a good deal of knowledge. He got on very well with the patients, and he was a little flattered at the pleasure they showed in his attendance on them. He was not conscious of any deep sympathy in their sufferings, but he liked them, and because he put on no airs, he was more popular with them than others in of the clerks. He was pleasant, encouraging, and friendly. Like everyone connected with hospitals, he found that the male patients were more easy to get on with than the female. The women were often querulous and ill tempered. They complained bitterly of the hard worked nurses, who did not show them the attention they thought their right, and they were troublesome, ungrateful, and rude. Presently, Philip was fortunate enough to make a friend. One morning, the house physician gave him a new case, a man, And seating himself at the bedside, Philip proceeded to write down particulars on the letter. He noticed, on looking at this, that the patient was described as a journalist. His name was Thorpe Athenley, an unusual one for a hospital patient, and his age was 48. He was suffering from a sharp attack of jaundice and had been taken into the ward on account of obscure symptoms which it seemed necessary to watch. He answered the various questions, which it was Philip's duty to ask him in a pleasant educated voice, since he was lying in bed, it was difficult to tell if he was short or tall, but his head, his small head, and small hands suggested that he was a man of less than average height. Philip had the habit of looking at people's hands, and Athenleys astonished him. They were very small, with long, tapering fingers and beautiful rosy finger nails. They were very smooth, and except for the jaundice, would have been of a surprising whiteness. The patient kept them outside the bedclothes. One of them, slightly spread out, the second and third fingers together, and while he spoke to Philip, seemed to contemplate them with satisfaction. With a twinkle in his eyes, Philip glanced at the man's face. Notwithstanding the yellowness, it was distinguished. He had blue eyes, a nose of an imposing boldness, hooked aggressive but not clumsy, and a small beard, pointed and grey. He was rather bald, but his hair had evidently been quite fine, curling prettily, and still wore it long. I see you're a journalist, said Philip. What papers do you write for? I write for all the papers. You cannot open a paper without seeing some of my writing. There was one by the side of the bed, and reaching for it, he pointed out an advertisement, in large letters, was the name of a firm well known to Philip, Lynn and Sedley, Regent Street, London, and below in type smaller, but still of some magnitude, was the dogmatic statement, Procrastination is the thief of time. Then... A question startling because of its reasonableness why not order today? There was a repetition in large letters like the hammering of conscience on a murderer's heart why not? Then boldly, thousands of pairs of gloves from the leading markets of the world at astonishing prices, thousands of pairs of stockings from the most reliable manufacturers of the universe at sensational reductions. Finally, the question recurred but flung now like a challenging gauntlet in the lists. Why not order today? I'm the press representative of Lyndon Sedley, he gave a little wave of his beautiful hand. To what base uses? Philip went on asking the regulation questions, some a mere matter of routine, others artfully devised to lead the patient to discover things which he might be expected to desire or conceal. Expected to desire to conceal. Sorry. Have you ever lived abroad? asked Philip. I was in Spain for 11 years. What were you doing there? I was secretary of the English water company Toledo. Philip remembered that Clutton had spent some months in Toledo, and the journalist's answer made him look at him with more interest, but he felt it would be improper to show this. It was necessary to preserve the distance between the hospital patient and the staff. When he had finished his examination, he went on to the other beds. Thorpe Athlini's illness was not grave, and though remaining very yellow, he soon felt much better. He stayed in bed only because the physician thought he should be kept under observation till certain reactions became normal. One day, on entering the ward, Philip noticed that Athenley, pencil in hand, was reading a book. He put it down when Philip came to his bed. May I see what you're reading? asked Philip. who could never pass a book without looking at it. Philip took it up and saw that it was a volume of Spanish verse, the poems of Saint-Jean de la Cruz, and he opened it to a sheet of paper, He opened it and a sheet of paper fell out. Philip picked it up and noticed that the verse was written upon it. You're not going to tell me you've been occupying your leisure in writing poetry. That's a most improper proceeding in a hospital patient. I was trying to do some translations. Do you know Spanish? No. Well, you know all about San Juan de la Cruz, don't you? I don't, indeed. He was one of the Spanish mystics. He's one of the best poets they ever had. I thought it would be worthwhile translating him into English. May I look at your translation? It's very rough, said Athenely, but he gave it to Philip with an alacrity which suggested that he was eager for him to read it. It was written in pencil in a fine but very peculiar handwriting which was hard to read. It was just like black letter. Doesn't it take you an awful time to write like that? It's wonderful. I don't know why handwriting shouldn't be beautiful. Philip read the first verse. In an obscure night with by anxious, anxious love inflamed. Oh, happy lot. Forth, unobserved, I went, my house being now at rest. Philip looked curiously at Thorpe Athenley. He did not know whether he felt a little shy with him or was attracted by him. He was conscious that his manner had been slightly patronising, and he flushed as it struck him that Athenely might have thought him ridiculous. What an unusual name you've got, he remarked, for something to say. It's a very old Yorkshire name. Once it took the head of my family a day's hard riding to make the circuit of his estates. but the mighty are fallen fast women and slow horses. He was short-sighted, and when he spoke, looked at you with a peculiar intensity. He took up his volume of poetry. You should read Spanish, he said. It's a noble tongue. It has not the mellifluousness of Italian. Italian is the language of tenors and organ grinders, but it has grandeur; it does not ripple like a brook in a garden, but it surges tumultuous like a mighty river in a flood. His grandiloquence amused Philip, but he was sensitive to rhetoric, and he listened with pleasure while Athenry, with picturesque expressions and the fire of a real musician, of sorry and the fire of a real enthusiasm, described to him the rich delight of reading Don Quixote. "'in the original, and the music, romantic, limpid, passionate "'of the enchanting Caldron "'I must get on with my work,' said Philip presently. "'Oh, forgive me, I forgot. "'I'll tell my wife to bring my, me a photograph of Toledo, "'and I will show it you. "'Come and talk to me when you have the chance. "'You don't know what a pleasure it gives me.' "'During the next few days, in moments snatched "'whenever there was an opportunity, "'Philip's acquaintance with the journalist increased. Thorpe Thinley was a good talker, he did not say brilliant things, but he talked inspiringly with an eager vividness which fired the imagination. Philip, living so much in a world of make-believe, found his fancy teeming with new pictures. Athene had very good manners. He knew much more than Philip, but both of the world and of books. He was a much older man, and the readiness of his conversation gave him a certain superiority, But he was in the hospital, a recipient of charity, subject to strict rules, and he held himself between the two positions with ease and humour. Once Philip asked him why he had come to the hospital. Oh, my principle is to profit by all the benefits that society provides. I take advantage of the age I live in. When I am ill, I get myself patched up in a hospital, and I have no false shame, and I send my children to be educated at the board school. Do you really? said Philip. And a capital education they get too. Much better than I got at Winchester. How else do you think I could educate them at all? I've got nine. You must come and see them when I get home again, will you? I'd like to very much, said Philip. All right, there we go. That's that chapter. Chaptered. Well chaptered, everybody. Congratulations. Thank you very much for listening and I will see you tomorrow.